This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Lanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room. It is an absolute pleasure to have Janet on today. And I don't say that just because that's a great way to start a show, because we've already had a great conversation before we even hit record. And uh, I, I had to interrupt the flow because I knew that the magic was going to come. So just you already can tell Jason and I are happy to have you on here. And one of my favorite questions to kick things off with, because I feel like it sets the tone for everything, is do you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs or business owners? Yeah. Look, I started my first business when I was 15, would you believe? Um, I the, In Australia, I'm from Australia originally. We have this dessert called a pavlova, which was named after a Russian bar- ballerina. It's It bears no resemblance to a Russian ballerina. I don't know why it was called that. It's just a bunch of meringue with cream and fruit inside. But That's I decided good. I wanted to uh, start up a pavlova business. So I put a sign. You did this back in the day. Um, I'm 61 now, so we're talking you know, back in 1971. You just put a sign on your front gate, a bit like the lemonade stand, saying pavlova's for sale, and people would phone you up. And so that's what happened. And in the end, uh, one day we were driving along. My dad, who is a doctor, very busy, serious man, we had his car full of pavlovas. It was we were delivering them to a, a big luncheon, and he hit the brakes a little bit too hard, and there was just meringue and cream everywhere throughout his car. And he turned around and said to me very solemnly, "Janet, I think you better focus on your studies." Um, so we had to ditch the business. But um, I just loved the idea of making money. And I bought a boat and a bicycle from my, the proceeds of my business. And they're still my two most cherished possessions. So, yeah, I, that whole seed of entrepreneurship was so very young. And then from there, I went on to run six businesses in my adult lifetime. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're skipping over a lot there, <laughs> I'm sure. But, <laughs> but uh, it is cool to see that even... At a young age, you were able to not only, I mean, it's one thing for parents to want to love and support what you're doing, but you genuinely also like convince them like, hey, like drive me around and sell my stuff. Like there was already a strong leadership ability in you. And uh, then, of course, time passes. And had you ever gone into employment for someone else prior to starting your businesses as an adult? Yeah, I did briefly, actually. I um I, I've always been a word nerd and I've always loved writing. And um, I met my uh, boyfriend who turned out to be my husband and 40 years later, we're still together uh, somehow because we've had quite a volcanic um, relationship, but it's been fun. Um, but uh, so I wanted to get into journalism and he said, no, get into advertising. Um, you know, it's way more lucrative, you know, writing ads. And I went, oh, okay. I was kind of open to trying anything. And um, so that's what I did. And I got a job at an agency in Australia, which was very famous at the time because they did amazing jingles, you know, music-based ads, which really captured the soul of the country. And so they were able to really rally the country together and give it a sense of its national identity through their ads. And I thought, wow, that's such a great skill. And the thing they did better than anything was simplifying complicated concepts. So to give you an example, one of the ads 
one of the briefs they were given was to make cricket exciting. Now, you guys, I don't know if you've ever watched a game of cricket, but people liken it to watching grass grow. You know, it's not the most <laughs> exhilarating sport. <laughs> um, so somehow they had to turn cricket into a national passion in a one-day uh, format. And so what they did, instead of selling cricket, they sold the idea of how great it was to be Australian on the winning side. And so they came up with this campaign, Come on Aussie. We'd never talked about ourselves as Aussies before, officially. And then they set it to this really stirring music. So in 60 seconds, they they managed to take someone from not giving an, an, an F about cricket to being, yeah, we're going to go. And the, uh, the, the day they opened the first match of one-day cricket, the stadium was a sellout. It was standing room only and there were queues. So I was just um, overawed by the power to move people via their emotions and so that was the first time I got a paid job working for them. However, I did notice myself watching the clock at one point and I thought, this isn't good. Yeah. The idea of uh, somebody's monitoring what, pro- like your progress is not just dependent on your own, uh, yeah. what I'm looking for, autonomy. It's more like, oh, I better because someone else, that. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think, um just not being fully accountable. And I found myself falling into the trap of, of um, boss blaming as well, uh, you know, picking fault with the company. And I knew in my heart, although I was only young, I was about 22 at this point, um, I knew that something in me said, this isn't right. You know, I need to be, um, I need to be stepping outside of my comfort zone at this point. And uh, yeah, so that was the last time I had a, a paid job. Wow. And then from there, you just went on to... <laughs> to launch business. And then I'm sure it wasn't yeah. the first business that you launched that succeeded. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know what you call success because I realized in hindsight, we did have a self-sabotaging factor. So so when I say we, my husband and I started uh, going into business together. So we, we created a, a creative freelance uh, ad writing business. Um, and then from there, we decided to, his, I met him at his restaurant. My mum ran a restaurant in the same street. Hers was failing and his was always full. So we wanted to check out the competition and that's how we met. Um, and <laughs> I love that. and he'd, he'd been an ex-advertising uh, creative director. So he'd been like the youngest creative director in Australia at the time. So he obviously had a talent. And what he did was he applied design to food, which was the first time that was done. This is in the late 70s. It's kind of normal now. We take it for granted but people used to come in with their video cameras to film the food, um, like it was a, a, a piece of art or something. So it was really unusual. Now, of course, MasterChef and programs like that are, are, you know, some of the most popular shows on TV. But it wasn't like that back in the days when, you know, an avocado was unheard of. Um, food was a much more basic commodity back then. So we decided to set up our own cafe, and uh, that was our first real business together called the Cactus Cafe, and we ran it seven days, breakfast, lunch, dinner, <laughs> until we exhausted ourselves. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is the perfect time for me to to pass it over to Jason, who I know uh, is a family man himself, you know, and I know that business operates within his family, and at that point, it had become clear that you went in as partners, but you were also partners in life. So there's this interesting dynamic and I'd like to turn it over to Jason and to chime in on that. It's a, it's a delicate balance. It really is. I mean, if everybody be, is honest about it, right. I mean, not like it's just all fairy dust and wonderful. 
um, it's a very delicate balance because you, when you work with your spouse, partner, whatever, whatever it is, right. When you work with, with them, there's always the, well, there's the relationship and then there's the business. So there's always like the potential for that clash, no matter what. Right. Um, and there's more potential with it from a relationship standpoint than one that is not. Um, and I mean, to be quite honest, me and my wife, we've definitely had clashes in businesses together. No doubt about that. But, you know, I think it's a, uh, it's a clear defined role conversation. That's really what it is. Yes. And that, that's <laughs> yeah. the conversation you have to have. It's, it has yeah. to be a clear, concise uh, role. And, and it's not, I'm in charge of you or you're in charge of me. It's clear, concise. You do your path. They do their path. And then it seems to work fine. Where you run into problems is when I'm in charge. You need to do what I tell you to do. That shit don't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely doesn't work. And I think I think all of us struggle with a sense of who am I anyway. Yeah, you know, I think that right. is the great human dilemma, understanding our true identity. And it's so easy to lose it, not only in a marriage, but a, a, a marriage and a business combined, um, mm. doubly hard to, very easy to lose yourself. So Look, we went into business in the days when there were no business coaches. There was no online information about how to do it. I don't even know how we survived or how we were as successful as we were considering how little we understood about life, the world. We just went for it. And it yeah. was a, uh, I, I can't think of many things we did right. I can think of a lot of things that we just assumed so we just assumed that we could work seven days and that we could work breakfast, lunch, dinner. And I don't know if you've ever tried doing that, but very quickly you reach a state of chronic fatigue. Um, and I remember the day it was quiet. It was about four in the afternoon. That was the quiet time. And one of our best customers walked through the door and I looked at her and I just sighed. And I went, oh, my God, I don't believe I just did that. You know, <laughs> I basically <laughs> told her, go away. Um, I was exhausted, but we were trying to be, you know, we were like the ultimate people pleasers. We were just trying to be this amazing service to others. And, you know, I mean, we won the, the award for best cheap restaurant in Sydney at the time, the Bent Fork Award, it was called. So we'd had a following, but it came at such a cost. And the day I walked into the kitchen and my husband was, oh, my partner back then was banging his head against the wall. I went, oh my God, we've got to get out of here. You know, this is this is too much. I love it. I, I love that you had this self-awareness regardless of, I mean, you said you were like in your early 20s at that time, right? When you made that decision. Uh, yeah. To work and, and run. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine. And that's when, you know, people in their 20s have a lot more energy than they, than they, oh, uh, yeah. they take it for granted. They yeah, take it for absolutely. granted. And, and you ran yourself. I mean, I, I remember when I hit 30, I was like, what happened? I woke up one day and suddenly 50% of it was gone, whether I liked it or not. Uh, yeah. But at that time, you literally drove yourself and your, and your partner too into the ground, trying to reach this perfect 
idea of it might be that's what it sounds like it sounds like there's a and i know because i suffer from perfectionism in a, in a lot of ways right yeah. or i i gotta stay happy all the time right and also you never took any time to sort of compose and recollect where are you is this going just because it's successful like you said how yeah. do you define success it, right yeah that's exactly right um it was you know in a sense it was like a war uh, i mean i've never you know been in a war as such but in terms of you just don't think about yourself at all you just go oh my god there's a room full of clients out there they're all hungry breakfast was the worst because people want to be served like that they're all hungry they all need to be fed the food needs to be fabulous because we're reinventing the whole concept of affordable food it needs to look good and taste good and be in there, be out there in uh, ten seconds, and um, so yeah, you just do whatever it takes to deliver, but at such personal cost um, that it's not, uh, yeah, it's not viable going forward. So that was a great lesson in what not to do in terms of running a business. It, it started with a great idea and a great passion, but passion alone will not get you across the line. Oh yeah, and so. From what I understand now, you have something called the fifth door program, right? Yeah. And yeah. I'm trying to bridge the gap between then and there <laughs> without without literally turning this into 82 episodes because it sounds like you've lived enough <laughs> life and you've done enough in business that it could be multiple episodes. So for me, at what point did you go from running businesses where there was like, you know, customers and uh, in the sense of like uh, you were almost almost like selling consumer gross products, except it was like food, restaurant touring and this and that to now you were going like servicing with like consultancy and coaching and things of that nature. Am I accurate? Yeah, that's right. Yes. So yeah. that's a, that's a big leap, right? Most people, mm -hmm. most people who started in that direction can't go in the other direction. It's, it's usually either or, but you did that. How did you, how did you come to that? Was it after a few other attempts? Yeah, well, um, just to, so we don't do the 82 or whatever episodes, just very quickly, the bridge from where we were to where I am now was a few other businesses. So we um, we set up our own advertising agency, which was very successful. Um, and when you think about it, advertising is just repackaging concepts and making them uh, appealing to people. So, and and uh, using emotions really. So our logical brain will needs to be satisfied along the way, but first you've got to win the heart before you get the mind. So it was very heart-based, either using comedy, music, or something that would engage people and draw them in. Um, and so that was very successful. And then we went into real estate development in a big way. And we created a suburb up in Australia's answer to the Caribbean. Um, and that was really um, successful. Um, when I say successful, it made lots of money, right? So we turned over lots of money. Um, but I remember the day I was looking at everything that we owned. So we had this mansion at this place, on a beautiful place that my husband Ralph created, um, and a private beach next door, you know, framed by palm trees. It was kind of this place that Richard Branson would have been, you know, would have he would have gone, yeah, I, I, I'll buy that one. Um, and looking around and going, oh, my God, we got here. But I, I feel absolutely kind of empty and a bit depressed. What's that all about? And I just ignored that feeling. That was my first wake-up call. And then 2008 was the year later, and that, do, that gave us the global financial crisis. And in that space of 12 months, I watched as everything that we spent the last 30 years working for virtually disappeared. I won't go into the whys and wherefores of all of that, but just to say that my identity by then, I equated success with having all these zeros after my name, and it was zeros in the bank account. And as I watched it disappear, 
it was like I was watching um, myself disappear. It was like our bank account was reduced to zero. We had this huge mortgage and it was like I'd become the same, like nothing. And at that point, I really did feel the world would be a better place without me. And I remember just wheeling around our garden at two in the morning and everything was just monochrome. You know, when you have a full moon and everything turns to black and white, and that's what my light, like all the colour drained out in that in that moment. And, uh, yeah, at that point, I um, I just didn't know where to go. It was like while you're climbing the mountain, it's okay because you, you assume the experience at the summit is going to be this nirvana. And then when you get to the summit and it's not, and then you get your next wake-up call, which is, okay, we're going to send you back down to the bottom of the mountain. You go, well, I don't know where to go from here because I, I don't want to go up that mountain again, but I don't know where to go. Yeah. It's, uh, we haven't had many of an opportunity on the show, but there have been enough where we've had that conversation about that feeling when everything you thought you wanted didn't give you exactly what you thought it was going to. And you found, I guess this wasn't it, but I just spent the last couple, might've been two decades, you know, maybe even just one decade working for this. And then to have the universe then add icing to that cake by creating a housing crash and, you know, you specifically being in that field, only doubling down the feeling of uh, Mm. terror as you're thrown to the bottom. Well, I mean, we all know that once you hit the bottom, there's only one way to go and that's up, but that's not necessarily easy to do, especially when you've decided I'm, I don't want to do that again. If it didn't make me happy, what's the point? Right. So what, what did you anchor yourself on? Because most people, especially younger business owners, maybe even some who haven't even had an experience like that yet, they're just humming along with their money in their bank account and, and yeah. identity being tied to that, right? They don't totally. know what that's going to be yet, but now yeah. you had to anchor yourself and center yourself. So what happened? Yeah. So I realized that in that entrepreneur space, like I realized that in hindsight that I'd spent most of my life running away from myself. I didn't realize at the time because society, you know, um, uh, honors us if we can say, look, I did this, this, and this, you know, someone would say to me, Janet, how are you? And I'd say, I'm busy. You know, that's, that was like the best thing you could say. So, um, I, I realized when you get to that, that, that spot, let's call it the ground zero spot, um, that death in a way is inevitable. It's actually, which death do you choose? So do you literally physically check out and then you just leave all your pain and suffering behind for your loved ones? Or do you die kind of, you know, metaphysically in that you let go of a belief that you'd held on to for, for so long? And so that belief I had to let go of was that hard work uh, followed by making money were the key to happiness. So always delaying happiness and realizing, no, actually, we have to put happiness first. But what does that even mean if I haven't truly experienced what it's like to, to be joyful? What does that even mean? These are just words. So that was really the beginning of my quest to understand that. I love that because uh, there is nothing worse than the right answer to the wrong question, right? And and most of us are pursuing some sort of question there. When What's the number of money that'll make it enough, right? Only to change the question. Okay, well, what is real happiness? Because it wasn't that. And now yeah. there was like this new operating software. And it mattered more that you had that question than any answer that would ever come because now there was trajectory you could pursue. And Mm. this is this what eventually led to the fifth door? 
Yeah. Well, I, I realized the fifth door model came later. Um, so let's just say that there are four doors leading to the fifth door. So the first door is what we call living hell. Um, and everyone's experienced that. We've all spent time there behind doorway one. And door two is uh, the treadmill. So that's the mediocre life. So that's a life of compliance. You know, that might be typically nine to five, just following the programming you've been given. And then door, th- door three, which I think where we find a lot of entrepreneurs is the roller coaster. So that's where you go, you know what? The conventional life's not for me. I'm going to do it my own way. But instead of being a highway to success, it's it's not as easy as we thought. And we see to, we tend to spend more time uh, in the troughs than the than the summits. And then the fourth door, which I was really lucky to get behind because that was my the beginning of the wake-up call, was when you have everything you thought you wanted and yet it's still not enough and it leads you uh, asking that question, well, where do I go from here? And that's probably the greatest paradox of all because we've got nowhere else to go from there. And so I went straight from there to doorway one. But what I realised going forward was the fifth door was an option that's not taught to us at school. We're not taught it by our parents, but ultimately it's the only place to go if we want to feel genuine fulfilment. So what happened to me, I did a whole bunch of um, programs. I won't quote the names, but they were expensive and they were all over the world. So I spent a lot of time flying to places to try and answer this question, well, what makes us happy? What makes me happy? Um, and what really fascinated me coming from advertising where we were very accountable, we had to, a client gave us so many dollars, we had to make so many dollars return for them times 10 or whatever. And there didn't seem to be any of that accountability in the personal growth industry. It was just like, we'll sell you one program, then another, then another. It was almost like a Ponzi scheme. You could kind of see the funnel. And I thought, this is crazy. You know, if any industry needs integrity and accountability, it's this one where people are so vulnerable. And um, so finally, I, I went to one uh, workshop. It was like a warrior camp where they had us jumping out of trees in the Malaysian jungle and all kinds of stuff like that. And um, <laughs> one of the exercises was a simulated death experience where a guy comes up, squeezes your carotid arteries till you pass out. And I thought, oh, I was actually curious about this because, you know, I'd heard stories about your life uh, flashing before you and that euphoria before you die and the light at the end of the tunnel. But instead, as the room blacked out, I heard this voice. It was like a presence. I don't know exactly what it was, but it just, what what I heard was, Janet, you've let everyone down. And when I came to, I was just overcome by this tidal wave of, Uh, intense disappointment doesn't sound like a strong enough word, but it was like that was my judgment day and that was the final assessment that I'd let everyone down. And then I got really self-righteously angry, like, you know, how dare this wet sock of a line be the summation of my entire life? (laughs) This is bullshit. (laughs) I've worked too hard to hear this. And then the huge penny dropped. It was like, oh, of course I've let everyone down and no one more so than myself. Because I thought it was all about being selfless, you know, self-sacrifice. And you guys know this about war. War is all about sacrificing yourself for a bigger concept. And I thought that's what I was doing. That's what made me a noble warrior. And what I realized was that was the ultimate act of selfishness because I was denying the world my gift. And I had no idea what that was, but I just had this sense that I got it all wrong. And so then it was about, well, how do I show up as myself? What does that look like? 
And uh, I basically put together the program that I wish someone had given me when I was at the bottom of my dark pit, my pit of despair, um, that was accountable and took people to a solid outcome. Amazing. I, I want to I want to turn it over to Jason because I, I know that he's been there many. I think uh, he spent 22, 23 years in the fifth door itself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for you, Jason. <laughs> yes, yes. Not many people get there. Indeed. Right, right. And in door number one, too. Wall in uh-huh. door number five at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, one creates the other, doesn't it? You can't yeah, have door right. five without door one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, we go through, we go through life, right? And it's like, we have all these points in our life where we can just beat the shit out of ourselves, right? About things we did or, you know, or we're, we're up. Uh, and we're talking to our spouse or whatever, and you're getting this, this, God, do you remember back in 1989 when we did this? And God, that was stupid. It's like, why do we even talk about it? That, that's kind of the whole thing, right? It's like, you've moved on. And, but as humans, we seem to always have to like reflect back on things, right? Um, mm. And, but, but I don't think, you know, it sucks that we have to do that, but I think those experiences are what shape our next steps, right? Because we need to draw from those experiences. So we have to remember them, but you'd think we would have figured figured out a better way by this point to compartmentalize it a little better to where yeah. we're not stuck in door number one, just yeah. to get to door number five. And it's just, just like, repetitive cycle right of door one to five door one i love the door one to five thing i think that's really cool um and that that's a great perspective to look at it that's pretty genius actually um but yeah you know how do we do that i don't have the answer for that yeah well look this this is a question that fascinated me and i mean it's pretty funny to think that you know we devoted my husband and i so much energy to selling things like bananas and pantyhose and all types of consumer goods but the big problems were out there we never even addressed them or even thought about them you know why do we live in this endless loop of self-sabotage what's that about so i started teaching um this program, the fifth door was originally uh, self-awareness 101. And I thought, you know, who, who, who needs that most? When do we need this information about ourselves most, about who we are, what our behavior style is, our, our personality type, all these things about us that we're not aware of. And I thought school leavers. Yeah. Because wouldn't it be helpful to know this stuff before we start to chart our course in life? And so I started teaching it to a, uh, this program to these kids at school here in Bali at the Green School. And um, I'd write their reports and they loved it. And then the parents read the reports and went, oh, we'd like a bit of this. So then I started teaching the parents. But here's the thing that I, I found was that they could get intellectual awareness of where their strengths were and then do nothing with it. Like you were saying, Jason, you know, it's almost like, Oh, now that you've told me that this this is what I need to do, now's the very time I'm not going to do it. And that was really the point where I thought, well, what's the point in me even doing this if no one's going to uh, take action? And then I thought, what if we could, the real problem here is not so much lack of knowing what our strengths are, because that's kind of easy to figure out in a way. 
But what is the thing that's holding us back? What keeps us in this going back to door one? What is that? And what I realized was after doing a bit of digging, because I have no background in psychology, right? I have no letters after my name, which I realize in hindsight is a bit of a blessing because uh, I think that could have blinkered me. Um, but I thought, you know, we have this thing called limiting beliefs. You know, you've, you guys are familiar with that concept, you know, these mm. thoughts that erode our self-confidence. But what if there's just one beneath those? So a bit like, you know, termites. I, I love that metaphor of termites eating away at the foundations of who we are, that, you know, our house, if you like. But a term, every termite colony has a queen termite, and she's this huge termite. Have you ever seen a photo of a queen termite? Like the other termites, they're like worker bees. They're running around with their wings on, you know, eating away at the wood. The queen termite just lies there. She's about 10 times the size. And she's laying 3,000 eggs a day, right? Now, we we are capable of producing a, a roughly as many negative thoughts about ourselves a day. Um, you know, they, some people say it's up to about 7,000 negative thoughts a day. So the queen termite's just like us. She's like how our brain works, pumping out these little termites that then go to erode our confidence. So what if we could find out what our queen termite was? Because if we can get to the queen, we don't have to worry about trying to, we don't have to worry about positive affirmations and trying to sort out these negative thoughts. They're just the progeny of the queen. So um, that's basically, that was the, the big aha for me was understanding that we have this queen termite of a thought, which I call your core destructive belief. And when you can figure that out, that's when everything else falls into shape because that's the big thing that's stopping us actually from accepting our true greatness. Mm. I need to find my queen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing. Um, this is what I love about my weird advertising background, which I spent so many years going, why the hell didn't I get into journalism? Why am I doing this? But now I kind of get it, Jason, that um, the gift of advertising is to get we we have to communicate in 30 second bites usually or even a three second billboard so what that's that forces us to do is really uh speed up the process so we get it down to its bare essentials one of the things that frustrated me about personal growth therapy counseling was when i did therapy the therapist would say to me so, Janet, what do you want to talk about today? And I go, really? This doesn't sound like there's any plan behind this at all. And so I talk about something randomly, but I, I kind of was saying to myself, when do, when do we get to the end? You know, when's the 30 seconds up? <laughs> you know, it was uh, th there was no um, feeling of outcome. So what I realised was that this is a, a process where we, if we can crack the code to get to the core destructive belief, we can do this very, very quickly. It doesn't have to take a long time. So, yeah, my part, my fastest processing journey has taken about three hours as against maybe three years in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> the things you were talking about earlier, too, in regards to uh, the industry as a whole and all those courses you paid for and everything, that was uh, alluding to what we were talking about. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure if it was before we hit record, but that whole idea of like life coaches and how it's easy to fall into this idea of like you're not really doing something for anyone other than than just taking their money, especially if there's no qualification behind you. Right. But like you said, those are the most vulnerable people who are legitimately thinking, I can't do this alone. Let me go with people who 
are saying in a very compelling way, I have a whole group of people that I'm helping and you can be a part of this experience. Right. And I'm so glad that you also having the education related to like marketing and advertising and being able to concisely deliver something, because now that means you get to stand outside of the noise and put what you're giving, which actually has integrity, being somebody who's on the other side of this. Like I can, yeah. I can assure you that I will not let you finish this without feeling like you had made progress on something, which even the smallest bit of progress anyone would be happy with. That's how low the bar is set in that industry. That is a yeah. fact. I'm so happy that's what you're doing because that industry definitely has some yeah. colors to it. Yeah, definitely. There's some pain yeah, out there. Nice. When, when you're thinking about it, when someone says, you know, just turn your thoughts around, that's essentially the same as taking a, a, a spray can of pesticide and eliminating each termite one by one. And even then you're not doing it because another one will pop up. Um, and to me, what can happen is you can raise people's hopes about some kind of transformation. If you don't deliver, they can potentially be in a worse place than when they started because that's when they really start to think, oh, you know what, I'm just not fixable. That's just me. <laughs> and that's not true for anyone. That's that's simply not true. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate too. I mean, I won't name yeah. any names by any means, but there's a lot of these gurus out there, right, that, uh, I mean, you go to them and all they do is just like they fluff everything up. But then yeah. when you leave, you're right back in the same place where you were. Sure, you feel great for those couple of days you're there, right? Yeah. But none of it's permanent. And that's the thing, right? Yeah. Nobody but, gives but, nobody gives people tools. It's no. just like, come here, I'll just just chalk you full of good vibes and all these things. Music right? and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of a joke. It's yeah. a circus. A, yeah, yeah, it is a circus. <laughs> it, it totally is. And you know, it's interesting. My dad's my dad was a surgeon. Um, and he said to my husband and I when we were in advertising, he said, you know what? Medicine needs some of your creativity. Because, you know, medicine's uh, got blinkers on. And um, and medicine was very stymied by the whole, you gotta have the letters after your name. I mean, I totally understand why someone has to uh study for years to before they cut someone up. I totally get that. <laughs> but um, but I suppose what I realized was, but no one supplied the 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 surgical approach to personal development. You know, what if you did that? What if you went in as a surgeon to go, okay, we're going to extract this core destructive belief, we're going to find out what it is, we're going to bring it to the surface. And when we do that, when we find out the reason we're not good enough, whatever that is, and everyone has their own uh, variation of it, um, I've got a list of 200, but usually it's something that's off the list. Uh, when you understand that, that's the, the worst part of yourself that you bring to the light. The minute you oxygenate it, it tends to just vaporize. But then you start to understand how you've been showing up in the world as your overcompensating self. This is like the twin of the, the core destructive belief. And that's when you start to understand uh, the two parts of you, who you are not. You can't really know who you are until you, know, until you know who you are not. And so a lot of people try to go straight to this is who I am. But until you've unveiled who you are not, the false identities, your false dark side and your false overly bright side, uh, you can't find the true center. So you need those two extremities to define the center. You get that? You, you can only find the center by knowing what the outside parameters are. And so this is surgical work. This is very precise. This is down to the word. Uh, there's nothing fluffy about it. And 
uh, and this is probably what people need when they're struggling with their mental health because they can't get a handle on who they are and who they're not and let alone what they're supposed to be or how they can actually show up as their true self and their, and realize their true potential. See, you said something really important, I think, and that is personal development. Okay. Personal development and self-help are two very, very different things, which personally, I think if I have a problem, why do I want self-help? Clearly I couldn't figure it out myself. So, <laughs> Yeah. It's already Why saying would... there's something wrong with you. You right, need our right. help. <laughs> but personal, personal development is, you know, that's like being a, like you said, that's like being a surgeon. You're trying to figure out and get to the root of the cause, right? Mm-hmm. Where just the word self-help to me is like, well, I couldn't figure it out to this point. <laughs> what good is it going to do for me to do that? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and that, those are the things that, I mean, that stuff drives me nuts. And that's like a, who, who knows how many billion dollar industry Yeah. and it, and it's all uh snake oil. That's what yeah. it, it drives me nuts too, Jason, because it's all predicated on, I know better than you. Yeah. Um, and that's bullshit. I mean, where I believe we we all go through some kind of trauma. It's like it's the human experience. I don't think it's possible to have the perfect childhood. Where I mean, some people say they do, but I believe all of us have been programmed to an extent. It's not possible to be a creature of this environment without having absorbed some external uh, mm. programming that takes us off course. Um, and so, knowing that we're all in this boat together, there's no shame around it. The, the, the the shame is in staying silent and quiet and withdrawing and thinking there's only there's something wrong with me. I know because this is was my door one and you've probably been there too. You know, that we we feel we're the only ones in the world suffering this way, that we have our own particular brand of hopelessness that no one else would understand. <laughs> and that that's of course where we go down the the rabbit hole. But once we understand that where everyone suffers in their own way then that's when we can really start to connect. But when we have the snake oil merchants who are doing their big rah-rah shows, the connection's phony. We're feeling what it kind of feels like to connect with others. But at that point, if we haven't connected with ourselves first, then it's going to wear off in a matter of, you know, it's only a matter of time before it disappears. Yeah, We're externalizing our validation. We're externalizing our happiness. And that just doesn't work. Snake oil, <laughs> snake oil merchants. There's the title of the show right there. <laughs> this, this is the this is the part of the show where they go. Now look to the person to the left and right of you, and hug them. And like, <laughs> what? No, it's real. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a real thing. And um, yeah. uh, for me, it really is. Uh, it it is. It's interesting because the only time I'd ever heard someone take this stance on this kind of work in general is uh, with Adler, Alfred Adler, who was a psychologist, a contemporary of Freud, but uh, everyone knows Freud, not Adler as much. And that's because Adler did believe there was this more cyclical, less systematized, more of an iterative process to developing yourself. And he also believed Mm -hmm. that at the core, 
there was there was a, a reason why you were yelling at the waiter. It wasn't because they messed up your order or what have you. It was because yeah. you wanted to yell at the at the waiter for a feeling of power for some other thing you're compensating for, and the list goes on. But it, it is it is great to know that there's somebody else doing this kind of work, and at a time like right now when most people are suffering with their mental health. Yeah, well, you know, thank goodness levels. people are talking about it, um, and hopefully the stigma will start to fall away. What I've noticed, uh, the other piece of gold that's probably worth sharing that's been a game changer for me is the role of pain. So as you know, we're terrified of pain and look at the, look at the trouble pain avoidance has got us into with, with Oxycontin and continent and, you know, all the, uh, uh, the opiates and the addiction that that's caused, you know, particularly with veterans and, you know, all sorts of people who are in not just physical pain, but also emotional pain, this reliant on some kind of external antidepressant or something to stop us having to deal with pain. But what I've noticed is if you can find collectives of people who share a common pain, um, you know, so veterans is a great example. So, you know, that's a great example of a group of people who have once been held up as heroes for a particular reason um, and then come back home and suddenly they go through a total identity crash and go and go through that question well who am i what's my value you know it looks like i'm past my use by date where do i go now and so a group of people i work with are estranged mothers of adult children so these are women whose adult children have said mum you're dead to me i don't want to know about you very similar type of life situation totally different circumstances of course but um, i tend to now go to where the pain is most intense in these particular groups who are particularly vulnerable to depression, uh, suicidal ideation. Um, I like going to those places, the darkest places, because when people are in intense pain, that's when they're most motivated to either check out permanently or move through it. And that's when it's very easy to work with people. And the pain, the deeper the pain is and the more intense, uh, tends to correlate inversely with the degree of joy you can feel on the other side. So then it's just a matter of how do we get these people to that place? How do we how do we move them through? And that's my fascination and doing it quickly, not spreading it out over, you know, months or even years in some cases. Yeah. At that point, you don't have that kind of time. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, you can't even see a future. So so I, um, I'm working with people at the moment who I've taken through my program where they can. I feel we have to experience the pain personally. So I do have of my three daughters. I have one child who's estranged from me. So I do know that pain. So I can talk to these women from a place not of superiority, um, like I know better than you, but with them in the throng. And we share that pain together and we do sessions online together, working as groups. Group healing is incredibly effective because uh, where it doesn't matter, you know, I work with women from Canada, US, Australia, UK, all different denominations, skin colors, it doesn't actually matter. Pain is the great unifier, and that's what keeps us together as a group. We all understand that pain, and so we all share the same motivation to go through it. So it's not like another conference where you get random people together in a room. These people are very carefully curated as having had that same life experience, and so that builds immediate trust and where they can start sharing. So it's not just the work that I do, unearthing the core destructive belief, but it's also helping them do this work together as a group. 
We have definitely covered a lot of ground in this conversation, and I want to roll out the red carpet and let uh, people know where they can get a hold of you if, they, if they'd like to contact you, preferably the method you'd prefer. Yeah, well, look, um, probably there, the two ways to find me, there's uh, uh, janethogan.com. Uh, uh, yeah, my website, janethogan.com, and then just email me at janet at janethogan.com, uh, J-A-N-E-T-H-O-G-A-N. Um, and, um, yeah, on my website, it, um, talks mainly about estranged mothers, but I do work with other people too. And I'm very interested down the track of, um, developing one of the things I'm working on at the moment, um, which is another passion. The work I do is one piece in the puzzle, right? It's not everything. It's an important piece, but it's not everything. And what I'm very interested in doing is creating a collaborative platform of people in the mental health industry that, um, provide complementary services. So if I'm working with someone and I go, you know what, I think you need to go deeper in this, but this is beyond my realm now, I can recommend you to this person. And so we're just starting up a group at the moment of those people who offer those services, because I believe that this is work that we do for the rest of our lives. A bit like going to the gym. You don't just go to the gym for a month and say you're done. You know, you <laughs> You have, a, you have a program of fitness, fitness, whatever that is. It might be going for a walk every afternoon, but it is ongoing. And the same way we commit to our bodies, we need to commit to our emotional uh, state, a mental state, uh, by seeing it as a regular thing that isn't painful, that's actually fun and rewarding, that makes us feel better. Right on. And uh, really, I think just out of the interest of time, I and thank you for the, all, all that you've shared here. Um, you've addressed many more questions that weren't even asked just by sharing. Uh, should we roll out to the grand finale, Jason? You bet. All right. The, if you could have invited anyone to this conversation today to listen, based on what we covered, who would you have loved to have had here to listen to what you had to share and why? Uh, my dad, uh, because he was this incredibly successful man. He um, implanted the first cochlear implant in a baby in the world. Uh, so he's yeah. a very qualified surgeon, and yet he died uh, a very unhappy, unfulfilled man. And so I'd want to know what his core destructive belief was. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love oh, wow. to invite him to this conversation and understand what his programming was, that he was so driven to be so successful, yet died feeling unfulfilled and happy to check out in the end. Um, and I think that as um, parents... That's our, you know, we talk about inheritance. It's not our the inheritance that we leave behind. It's the emotional legacy. And if we die a mystery to our children, that remains an unsolved puzzle that troubles them. Um, so even though he checked out 20 years ago, I would love to bring him back and understand what makes him tick and uh, so that he could be at peace with himself as well. I'm so grateful that you uh, you opened up as much as you did in this conversation. Uh, entrepreneurs know that they are struggling with something too, and many of them quietly. So the fact that they know that you're out there, I think, is a uh, is a good thing. And also through sheer osmosis of the story that you shared of your own life, a lot of them, I hope, are taking a closer look at what's going on inside and how that correlates to what success might really mean. Uh, and at the very least, start asking that question instead of. Uh, how can I get more money, which everyone needs it to live? Let's be fair. But uh, there's there's definitely a point where enough is enough and there's something else that matters. And all of these lessons were a part of the conversation today. So those are my closing thoughts. Thank you, Janet, for all that you've done. I'll let Jason roll us out. 
Yeah. Well, first of all, I'd like to say this, and that's for most business owners, it's very lonely at the top, right? And if you don't find some kind of an outlet, right, whether that's exercise or whatever that may be, family, but sometimes you need something like totally outside the box. And personally, for me, it's really became this. For me, this is just so wonderful, right? Because now I'm not just stuck to this same old routine and and this, that, and the other. It's good to shake it up in your life, right? Shake it up every once in a while when things get stagnant, you know, throw throw some rocks in there and shake it up, right? And and do something different because that's what keeps us going every single day. And you know, thank you for being here on the show. God, you you left it. Uh, like I always say, every day uh, when we go to brush our teeth, if we look in the mirror and we can say, I left it all on the field, you definitely left it all on the field for everybody. So thank you so much for doing that. Thanks for taking the time to spend a sliver of your time with us. We appreciate it greatly. Thank you, Jason, and thank you, Philip, and it's been an absolute um, pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Sam, cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.